Thanks, Dilly. And it's uh, uh, good to be with all of you. And, you know, I think when we ask each other, you know, how are you doing? I think there's always a sense in which we have, we're, we're kind of qualifying the answer, right? Uh, like, I'm doing okay uh, in the circumstances, or I, I, I'm doing okay as much as one uh, can do in this kind of situation. And um, I want to read this uh, this research and, or, and some uh, statistics into the mental health of Americans right now, which maybe give a gives a sense of how statistically, at least, we actually are doing. This is a report in the Atlantic, maybe a month or two ago. It said already a third of Americans are feeling severe anxiety, according to Census Bureau data, and nearly a quarter show signs of depression. A recent poll by the Kaiser Family Foundation found that the pandemic has negatively affected the mental health of 56% of adults. In April, texts to a federal emergency health, mental health line were up 1,000% from the year before. The situation is particularly dire for certain vulnerable groups. Healthcare workers, COVID-19 patients with severe cases, people who have lost loved ones. And these people face a significant risk of post-traumatic stress disorder. In overburdened intensive care units, delirious patients are seeing chilling hallucinations, and at least two overwhelmed emergency medical workers have taken their own lives. And one of the this the thinking behind why the why this is such a such such a tough situation is because there's more ambiguity in this crisis than there are for other crises. Like compared to fire or a hurricane or even war, there's so much ambiguity that complicates how we can process it. So the, the report goes on, in this sense, someone struggling with the psychological effects of the pandemic is less like a fire survivor than a domestic violence victim still living with her abuser or a traumatized soldier still deployed overseas. Uh, professionals can't reassure them that the danger has passed because the danger has not passed. And there's a survey out of University of Chicago where 42% of respondents reported feeling hopeless at least one day a week. Uh, that's that's actually how we're doing. Uh, we're not really doing that well, I think, if, if we're honest with ourselves. But it's the people who are really struggling, people like us, that the Lord comes to us and says, Fear not, and come to this feast. We're in the, the series, Psalms of Refuge, and today a psalm that is uh, familiar to many people, Psalm 23. Psalm 23, this is what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So fear not and come to the feast. Why? Well, first of all, because the Lord is your shepherd. That's that's the title in in my Bible. It's the, the it's what the editors have called 
this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. It's the first line in the psalm. And the language that the Lord is my shepherd is similar to other places in the psalms when it, when it says the Lord is my something. So for instance, the Lord is my light and my salvation, Psalm 27, or the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Um, chapter 16, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The Lord is my strength and my shield. The Lord is my strength and my song. The Lord is my portion. That's Psalm 119. And here it's, the Lord is my shepherd. What's a shepherd? Well, a shepherd is someone who, who takes care of, of the sheep. I remember watching, this is probably 10 years ago, watching the documentary Food Inc., which is about the um, uh, the, the the corporate business of, of food production, especially meat production in, in the U.S. And I remember kind of two things from that watching that this was 10 years ago. One was just kind of feeling pretty guilty. And the other was, the, the I don't know, the pig herder. There was a man who was... Um, he, he raised his own his own pigs, and they were you know free range pigs, and whatever whatever goes into uh, a kind of a, a conscientious, conscientious um, a care for 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 pigs, uh, he did that. And I, I remember this image of him kind of sitting on the ground with his back against a tree, as uh, as the the pigs kind of just all. Uh, just grazed around him, and it's like it's like he had an, an affection for those animals. He was concerned for their welfare, even though he was ultimately raising them for slaughter. And the metaphor here of God as our shepherd is not a temporary kindness that ultimately is for the shepherd's profit, but is it is unending kindness, an unending protection and provision that's for your floor, your flourishing. Which means that the reason that you should not fear, and the reason that you should come in celebration to this feast, is because the Lord is your shepherd. That's stated in the first first part of verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. And then the second part of verse 1 explains what that means for you. And then verses 2 through 4 kind of fill out this the, the, this, the, the, the beautiful metaphor of what it means for the Lord to be your shepherd. What does it mean for you? The Lord is my shepherd. Mm-hmm. I shall not want. Which means I will not lack or need anything that I don't have. And what a thing to hear in, in a season in which we have lost so much. I, I think of... It's what we lost. We've lost normal human contact. I, I remember early in the pandemic, just being really moved by videos of people, usually someone who was immunocompromised, kind of standing behind a, a glass pane as a friend or a loved one was on the other side, and they were and they were kind of touching each other through the glass and speaking to each other, weeping together because they they lost the ability to actually be together safely. There's the loss of our professional aspirations and, and identity. I remember during family, family Life last week, uh, Molly McGuire speaking of how the bar exam has been canceled, been postponed, and, and now the, the aspirations for, for practicing law in the ways that she wanted to has, at least for now, it, that's, it's been lost. Or I remember speaking to some of you who are musicians and Right now, you're not able to perform. You've you you have lost that, and that is something that you are that you are grieving. And with the loss of that, uh, the the loss of that 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 
that work, that, that professional, those professional aspirations is also the loss of our identity. When we, when we see ourselves in part with what we do, we, we've, we've lost that. We've lost healthy rhythms. They're just, just the, just the getting out and coming back in. Like these things are, we, we've lost that and they're harder. And we, when we feel that there, there's a loss of, there's loss of meaning to some degree when we can't help but see ourselves and what we do. And if what you do gets ripped away from you or gets disrupted, then you can't help help but feel that something about you has been lost. There's a loss of people, of course. Is my dad? I think of first of all, uh, Beth Wright losing her brother um, with with COVID itself. Uh, when I checked the numbers this morning. In the United States, the number of deaths is now at 162,340. And in Cook County, which is the third highest, has the third highest death rate of all the counties in the U.S., the number is at 4,920 deaths. I remember um, speaking with uh, Kaylin Henderson, our our nursery worker. Um, Her grandmother died of COVID a few months ago. And not only did she lose her grandmother, but she lost the ability to to grieve for her in the context which it is normal to grieve. There was there was no public funeral for her that she could go to and grieve in the in the the ways that are actually helpful for us. So much has been lost, and you know the, the, the psalm it says right before verse verse one, a psalm of David, which means it's either written by David or it's written about David. But it's important to note that David himself knew all about loss. He lost his best friend. He his One of his marriages unraveled. He lost at least three of his sons, um, a couple of them violently. He lost his kingdom. He is someone who experienced loss like few other people have. And yet, someone who has experienced such loss can tell people like us who are in a season of loss... I shall not want. Why? Why can he say that? Because all along the way, I know that God is with me as my shepherd, providing everything I actually need. Verses two through four fill out this picture of what it means that he that that, that we don't want because of what he gives us. So he there is a picture of provision. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters. Grass, pasture, and water for a sheep is what it needs to survive. He's, he's providing. Verse 3, he restores my soul. Or it's really, it's he revives me. It's a, it's, it's a picture of re- revitalization. Or he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He, his, 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 his work, of the shepherd, is to guide me and he does it for the sake of his own reputation. And then in the climax of the metaphor in, in verse 4, that he leads you as your shepherd in such a way that you have nothing to fear. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The word death there is a, is a strange word. It's, it literally, it means, it means deep darkness. So I think this is this is a shepherding metaphor, and, and try to picture yourself in the, the 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 kind of the the land, the 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 pastoral scene of the Middle East, 
which is not at all like what it is in Chicago. It, it's very, uh, uh, the, the terrain is much more complicated than, than, than it is here. And the, the metaphor is of, of being in a, a narrow gorge or a, a canyon that's, that's so narrow that there's not enough light, not enough sunlight is able to get in to the bottom and it gets really, really dark. Uh, I, I remember uh, over a year ago now on vacation with my family in Utah and at Zion National Park, it's a it's a beautiful place. It's, it's this it's this valley, and there's a river running running through the through the valley. And where it, the further upstream you go in the river, the the narrower the valley gets, and it gets it's so narrow at one point that it's it's called the Narrows, and you can actually you can hike up into it for miles and miles through the water uh, as as it gets um, as it gets uh, more more and more narrow and dark. And when we were there, because of um, snowmelt, it was it was the the water was flowing too too much for us to safely um, hike there. And every year, there's usually someone, uh, some twenty three year old guy or something, who tries to, to to see what he can do, and he he goes for it in the bad conditions, and these people often often get killed. It's it's really dangerous. And so here it's it's there's it's the valley of of deep darkness that that the shepherd is leading the sheep through. It's the deep darkness where there is actually danger there. There are ledges there that you can't see that you can fall to your death. There are flash floods. There are wolves. There are bandits. So it's not that there's actually, David's saying, he's not saying that there's, you know, there's actually nothing to fear. And if only you had a flashlight, you could see that, that there's nothing to be afraid of. But he's saying that there are actually lots of things here for you to be afraid of. So if I could maybe retranslate it, it's, even though I walk through the valley of all kinds of things to be afraid of, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. I think of how my my children in, in the, the various levels of their development, all at various points, have been afraid of the dark. There's something they want in the basement. There's something they want in the attic, a, a toy or a shoe or something. And they cannot go and get it by themselves. They have to come. I have to come with them. I am there to, to protect them from whatever is in the dark. And that's, that's what is being promised here. That, that, that going into the dark where there is real danger, not just perceived danger, but real danger, our shepherd goes with us. The, the rod and the staff that he brings, the, the, the rod is the tool that the shepherds use to fight off predators. The, the staff is the tool that was used to kind of the, to corral the sheep, to, to hook the sheep and kind of bring them to the spot where they, where they need to be. So it's not that there's nothing to be afraid of, but that there's someone here to protect you. So put all that together. Put all this, how the, the metaphor here is going, is working together. Is saying, the Lord is my shepherd, which means I don't lack anything and I don't fear anything. I don't lack anything which he is not providing me. And I don't fear anything that he can't protect me from. Now, how does this work out in our own experiences? I mean, is David really saying, you know, and everything is sweet and easy and, and my life is free from all trouble and worry? Uh, no, no, obviously not. That, that wasn't actually David's life. So, so where is this, where is, where is this confidence coming from? 
Well, when we kind of dig a little deeper in, in this passage, we notice that there's a lot of language here that seems to be intentionally looking back towards the Exodus. It's looking back towards God's greatest work of saving his people. So this language about about you, you shall that I shall not want, it sounds very similar to, to Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 7, which says, For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. It's the same language there. Or Exodus 15, 13. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. And the word abode there is the same word as pasture here. What this means is that David's not just reflecting on his on his own experiences, but he's reflecting on the bigger story of a sh- of of God being a shepherd for his people and rescuing them from the very worst danger that they that, that they were ever in from slavery. And for us then the invitation as we think about how God is our shepherd isn't just to think about how this how this plays out in the stories of our lives. Because, you know, sometimes, especially right now, it's really hard to see sometimes how this is true. Uh, Experientially, you might not be feeling this protection and provision and guidance. Which means that it's really important in these moments to remember that, that, like David, you're part of a bigger story. That your story is part of a bigger story. That your experiences are, are wrapped up in the bigger experiences of the people of God. That that bigger story, those bigger experiences point to a shepherd who proves all of this to be true by giving his life for you. Listen to what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and, and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. The the hired hand and not the one who's a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's who Jesus Christ is for you. Because he is your shepherd, you can lose everything but still lack nothing because he gave everything up for you to give you life. And you can face every kind of frightening thing and yet fear no evil because unlike the hired hand who just runs away from danger because the sheep aren't worth his life, Jesus is your good shepherd who cares for you enough to give up his own life. And by doing that, he defeated everything that would actually overwhelm you and condemn you and destroy you. Jesus is your shepherd. So you lack nothing. And you have nothing truly to fear. But you know, it's not just, he's not just a shepherd. He's also a host. 
if I could change the the title of the song, I would call it "The Lord is My Shepherd and My Host." The metaphor changes in verse five to from the pasture to a a banquet hall. It says, verse five, "You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil; my cup overflows." It's the scene of a banquet. It's a feast. And it's happening in the presence of, of enemies, which means that, that your enemies have been declawed, that they can't hurt you anymore. You, you are eating without fear of what they can do to you. And the oil that is, that is anointed was, was kind of has two purposes. One, for, for people who are out in the sun all the time, it is just the, just the relief on their skin from what is painful. But it's also, it was what was used for the honored guest. So, so you are the honored guest. The, the Lord is your host, and he has invited you to his feast as his honored guest. And your cup overflows, which means that the way that the Lord is your shepherd and host is not just, it's not just provision and protection and guidance, but it's abundance. I think of, I think of feasting that I've experienced uh, um, around my house on birthdays, my wife will spend half the day in the kitchen preparing feasts for us. There's there's a, a breakfast of the choice of whoever's birthday it is. There is dinner of of that that, that is that meets the standards of the 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 honored celebrant. There is uh, dessert or cake afterwards. Um, unfortunately, we're, un- we're the rest of us are unable to return the favor for her on her birthday. But that's but for the other four birthdays, that, that's how it is. It's a feast. I remember another time, um, the the first time I had Korean barbecue. It was when the the moons um, took us to a place, uh, Sansu Gapsan on um, Western and uh, Foster, somewhere somewhere about there. And uh, until that moment, I, I was unaware of how impoverished my life had been up until that point. We you sit down and there's the, 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 the charcoal or the, the, the grill and the, 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 the pot in the middle that, that's cooking the food. And the food just, just, just kept coming. And it was like, um, it's like, you know, King George said in Hamilton talking about George Washington giving up his power that I didn't know that was something that one could do. It was so luxurious that I, that, that I almost felt guilty what was happening? And until I started eating, then I stopped feeling guilty and just started feeling happy. Just the the picture here of of God is your host who prepares this lavish banquet for you to feast on, where the food just keeps coming and coming, and where your cup is overflowing. What does this mean? I, 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 Verse six, the last verse, kind of fills it out for us, and and here we, we move away from metaphor. Just it's just straight talk. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word mercy is the word for God's covenant love, his his loving kindness, in, in some translations. So this feast that he invites you to, this feast that we're, that is overflowing with abundance, is a lifetime of his goodness and mercy pursuing after you. And not just your lifetime, but it's eternal life.
David says, I will dwell in his house forever, which means that I will be, you will be the guest in the house of a host who provides everything that you need, who protects you from every danger, and who will hunt you down with his goodness and love. That's why the New Testament describes the experience of heaven as, as a feast. It's, it's what the Lord's Supper is looking forward to. It's, it's what all of, our, all of our rushed, high fructose, corn syrup loaded meals are looking forward to. The real feast of unending goodness and love. The Lord is not just your shepherd. He's also your host. So if, if he's your shepherd and your host, what does that make you? You are the sheep and the guest. So the Lord is your shepherd, the Lord is your host, and you are the sheep and the guest. The psalm is, is inviting us not just to see who God is, but to see ourselves for who we are. And the right way to see ourselves is as sheep being led by a good shepherd and guest invited to a lavish feast at the home of a rich and generous host. Think about what it means to be a sheep. I have virtually no personal experience with sheep. The, the the one time the one the one time of any note was I was maybe I don't know six or seven years old and there was for some reason there was a petting zoo that was kind of brought to our our, our church um, it was I guess a, a kids kind of event and for some reason my father was responsible for transporting some of the animals from the church to whatever farm that they where they spent the rest of their time. So I rode with him to this place. My dad's driving. I'm in the front seat, uh, in the pastor seat, and all of the, the the animals are are behind us. And for me, as a kid, that was probably the most exciting thing that in, that, that anyone could possibly experience, being in a car full of sheep. I remember they relieved themselves a lot. And I remember one moment, they a sheep this kind of stepping forward between between the two seats in the front, just staring forward with this look of fascinated blankness at the world. But that's my experience with sheep. But the point of what sheep is is that not as we use the language, you know, like don't be a sheep, don't just be a, don't be a part of the crowd. But 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 but, but the, the point is, sheep cannot lead themselves; they need a shepherd. To be a sheep means that you need someone to lead you. I think it's the times in my own life when I have rejected that. And when I've tried to lead myself. I've tried to live as if I am not, I, I do not need to follow someone that I actually can do it for myself. Winnie, down please. A number of years ago, I, I had a, a difficult relationship with someone. It was... Um, there had been a rocky pass. There was, we we had very different ways of looking at the world. It, it was it was it was just a hard relationship, and dealing with, with with this person was always scary for me. I was just I was just afraid. Was, relational conflict for a lot of people is just one of the, the things that we face that's that's frightening in this in this world. It's it's part of the valley of the shadow of of deep darkness. Sometimes it's hard, painful relational conflict. And this time, I, I needed to engage this person, 
But because I was afraid and because I didn't trust God as my shepherd who would lead me through scary things, I tried to lead myself. I avoided engaging this person and I tried to outsmart the situation and it didn't work. And it made a difficult situation a lot worse. And it humbled me and it made me have to work all the, the more hard, all the harder to repair that relationship. Which thankfully happened, but not after a lot of additional pain. That's what trying to lead yourself looks like. But God says to you, know who you are as a sheep. You don't have to lead yourself. Follow me. Trust me. You're a sheep. In the best possible sense of the word, you are a sheep. You're also a guest. I think of when back when the world was normal and we had people over for meals. And whenever we invited people, people always would say, you know, what can I bring? Well, to be the guest at the table he prepares is to be in a situation where there is nothing to bring. You think of Jesus when he tells the parable of the great banquet. He's reflecting what it means for God to be this lavish host. And the host invites all these people and they all say, no, we don't want that. So who does he go and invite? He invites the poor and the disabled and the blind and the lame. He invites the people who can bring nothing. No extra bottles of wine. No no social capital to boost the reputation of the host. They are the ones who get to come to the feast. The ones who have nothing. And this feast you're invited to, where goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life, is a feast where the, a feast that you come to without performance or goodness or righteousness of your own, without anything at all that you can bring. It is all of grace. You come as a guest who has nothing to bring. The Lord is your shepherd. The Lord is your host. So be a sheep. Not, not, not a mindless robot who's afraid to stick out the crowd, but, but someone who follows the right kind of leader, the true shepherd, the good shepherd. And be a guest. Come to the feast before you could ever do anything to earn yourself at a place at the table because you're already the honored guest. So fear not and come to this feast. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for Jesus, the good shepherd who lays, who laid his life down for, for a sheep. We thank you for, for Jesus, the, the, the rich and lavish and generous host who invites us to his table and pours out his abundance upon us. And Lord, we, we confess to you the ways in which right now in a season which so much has been lost, so much, so much is scary, that it can feel hard to trust you right now. And it can feel hard to see you as, a, as someone who is, is lavish and generous to us. But Lord, we know in the gospel that that is always true. So we pray that we might follow you, that we might be led by you, and that we might put away any ways that we try to bring something before you as if that matters, and simply to come to this table without anything in our hands to bring, and to eat Mm -hmm. and drink lavishly at your table. We thank you, our Lord, our shepherd, and our host. We pray this in his name. Amen.